Everybody gets a piece, we're going mainstream. Everybody's gonna eat, we're going mainstream. All my family is singing. See you on mainstream, we're going mainstream. Wall Street to Melrose Avenue. We're going mainstream. Venture capitalists to athletes to creators. Today, we have a special guest from the wealth management industry. Ed Swenson is one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the wealth management space. He co-founded and is the COO of Dynasty Financial Partners, a leading RIA technology services platform that enables wealth managers to become entrepreneurs and run their own businesses using Dynasty's platform and infrastructure across technology, operations, diligence, access to investment, and M&A capabilities. Ed and his co-founder, Sheryl, have grown Dynasty to over $50 billion in aggregate AUM across almost 50 advisor teams. Dynasty is a leader in the fast-growing RIA space. They uniquely understand the needs of advisor teams who break away from wirehouses like UBS and Merrill Lynch, and they've built out a tech stack and platform that is state-of-the-art. Ed spearheads their technology approach by partnering with best-in-class fintech companies in various aspects of wealth management to build a tech platform that advisors love. Ed also recently co-founded the InvestNet Advisor Services Exchange by Dynasty, a platform that enables InvestNet clients to access the value-added services that Dynasty offers. Ed comes from a wealth management background, so he's in a unique position to understand the needs of independent advisors. Prior to Dynasty, he led the distribution network communication for Smith Barney's Multiple Discipline Accounts Division and was a portfolio manager for the Leg Mason Partners Large Cap Growth Fund. Ed and I had a really interesting discussion about how and why wealth management is changing as an industry, how Dynasty is a champion of entrepreneurs, and how and why wealth managers should have alternative investments in their portfolios. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Michael, thank you for having me. How, how are you? Where, where are you today? Well, I'm, uh, I'm down in our uh, headquarters, uh, Dynasty's headquarters in St. Petersburg, Florida. And uh, it's a great time to be here because there's a huge storm hitting the Northeast right now. <laughs> I, guess, uh, I guess this winter weather around the, around the country should make it easy for you to recruit people uh, in Florida. Absolutely. Huh? Absolutely. It's a great place to uh, come to and a great place to live. That's great. Well, it sounds like you've uh, you've clearly expanded Dynasty from uh, what started out as a as really a true startup. Uh, so, you started Dynasty out of a garage. Yeah, Michael. It seems like not so long ago, uh, you know. But we we did. We started it out of uh, Sheryl's garage in Saratoga Springs, upstate New York, uh, and my apartment. And at the time, I was living in New York City. And the two of us started it uh, out of those humble beginnings, and uh, it's been a really, it's been a wild ride. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been great. So wow, wow, that's a true startup folklore from a garage to a nice sunny office in Tampa and office space in Midtown Manhattan and San Francisco. Um, so you know, tell us why why did you start Dynasty and and what 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 is Dynasty for those who are who are listening. Yeah, no, the, you know, I, it's 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 fairly simple, which I think is the best you know reason for starting a company or launching something new that that you need to be able to explain it, you know, and and, and have passion around it. And our passion was that there was a better way of delivering financial advice and a better model for financial advisors in which to deliver that advice. Um, and it was from that premise that that we launched Dynasty. Uh, we had both been in you know the wealth management uh, ecosystem for the majority of our careers. 
Uh, I come from more of a technology uh, investment, investment platform and product uh, background. Uh, and Shroll came very much from the private wealth uh, management, um, ultra high net worth client type experience background. Both of us worked at bank, large banks uh, and large brokerage houses. And we saw that, that there was a fundamental shift occurring in wealth. And the fundamental shift was that is driven by clients and, and advisors that they were looking for other channels, the independent channel specifically, in which to deliver and get uh, great, great uh, advice for themselves and for their families. And we talk a lot about this concept of the family office, which used to be a very, and continues to be, you know, very small slice of wealth. Coming into more broadly, how does an advisor deliver ex, uh, advice you know, to their clients in the same way where they sit on the same side of the table. They're agnostic to what products are used. They're agnostic to what technologies are used. They're always just thinking about what is best for their clients. And that was the premise of what we we launched is that there was a better channel. There was a better way for advisors to give great advice uh, to their clients. And along the way, which we can talk about, we had the, 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 the tailwinds of technology and investment product and capabilities, you know, flooding into the independent space in a way that made our job delivering that platform and deliver, delivering that capability easier for advisors and better for clients as the ecosystem had just has continued to mature. Yeah. So you touch on like, this was really right time, right place. And there were issues for advisors and their clients with, uh, wirehouses, uh, so more traditional private banks. And then, you know, in the independent space, there really hasn't been, um, you know, access to product access to technology. So walk us through what some of the problems were with each side. So what you saw in the wirehouses and then what you saw in the independent space, that made you say, okay, here's what we need to create a dynasty to serve serve these independent advisors? Michael, it's a great question. There were a few things that kind of led to the impetus for launching Dynasty. Um, it, it goes back in some ways, think about when we launched the firm was December of 2010. And we had just come through a tremendous amount of upheaval in 08 and 09 in the financial markets and the collapse of Lehman and the collapse of some of these institutions that we all felt were bedrock you know, to wealth. Um, and so there was a lack of trust, you know, frankly, um, there was also coming out of that, um, a lot more compliance, right. And a lot more bureaucracy for lack of a better way of saying this around how to deliver advice. And what we really focused on is how does the client, how do the advisor have a great experience? How do you unlock their, uh, their potential? And the best way to do that is to allow them to control their own destiny, um, to take advantage of the great, amazing technologies out there and to allow them to offer great uh, advice uh, to their clients, but to do it in a way that really uh, put the advisor again in the center of the story. All about the advisor and the client, not about us, not about product, not about anything other than what is best for clients and what is best for advisors. And we're big believers in um, that's the independent space where an advisor can create their own brand. They can have access to so many phenomenal products and services. Um, you know, it gives them that entrepreneurial uh, for themselves and their families that that ability to to drive their vision. You know, their why of what they're trying to accomplish for their clients in a very uh, entrepreneurial you know way. And that's 
that that is the the core of everything that we are focused on doing for the advisor community. So is it fair to say that Dynasty is kind of the the Shopify for the independent advisors? I'll, I'll bait with a much you know there's much more complex process of getting an advisory firm set up um, and different price points and things like that. But is that how you think about yourselves? Our goal is to facilitate a platform and a and an ecosystem in which the advisors can focus on clients. The advisors don't have to be focused on, is that SOC 1, SOC 2? They don't have to be doing API integrations. They don't have to be thinking about all the things that go into running a practice on a day-to-day basis. That's what we do. We're more like a utility, you know, in a, in a sense. We provide the platform and it frees them up to go out and deliver great service to their clients, great advice. Um, and then fundamentally down the road, it allows them to own an entity that has extreme value based on the amount of free cash flow it's generating uh, for them and for their families and for their partners. Um, you know, and that's that's our role is to create that platform and to give them that scaffolding to be the contractor so that they can really continue to focus 100% on their clients. And the one thing I will say, which is a nuance to our model, is we don't take equity in these firms. You know, so we don't we don't own these firms. These firms are 100%. These RIAs are 100% owned by the principals and the teams. And um, we call it self-selection bias. Someone who wants to do that, who gets excited about that, uh, they get up every morning thinking about that. Um, they own 100% of, of that business, and it's them. It's their brand, and, and, and it's a really exciting you know, place to be as a financial advisor if you have that freedom and that independence to do what you think is best at all points for your clients. So, so that's, that's really interesting. Let, let's unpack that a little bit. So you're basically creating business owners. So if we peel back the layers of the onion in the industry to help people understand, you know, why an advisor would go independent, what what are they getting from a kind of as a business owner that they wouldn't get from a wirehouse in terms of how much they get to take home uh, of revenue or of of the kind of percentage fees from the AUM that they wouldn't get at a wirehouse and then also you know wh- why did you make the conscious decision relative to your other competitors in the the RIA platform space to not take equity versus some of those who I think have taken equity yeah i mean if we take a step back and look at the different models and again we don't speak ill of any model. You know, what we see is we're providing options. We're providing more choices, you know, for advisors. And so for some advisor, a wirehouse bank environment might be perfect. And for others, the independent space might be great. There, It's really different flavors of ice cream. We we are here to provide choice. Uh, and, and what I would argue on our side, if you think about the traditional model is you're an advisor or a broker at a larger brokerage firm or bank. And depending on your seniority and the amount of revenue that you generate, you are usually on equivalent of a grid. And the grid can usually be something where you take home 40, 45, maybe at the high end, 50% of the gross revenue that you generate at a firm. And you are an employee of that firm. Uh, And in the case of the bigger firms, there are a lot of other employees that are in your office, in your market, across the country. And those are very large organizations which have a lot to manage, right, Uh, on a national level on a national level. The independent space, what I like to think of that is that you now own your own LLC. You own your own ADV. You determine much more how you want to spend money uh, inside of your firm, how you want to brand, how you want to market, uh, whether you want to spend money on technology, whether you want to spend it on people. Um, and now you have a little bit more, a, a lot more 
uh, ability to control your own destiny as a wealth manager. It does come with a little bit more responsibility. You own this firm. It's not the branch manager or someone else. You make the decisions. We fundamentally, that's where we come in is, is helping those entrepreneurs, these advisors, these independent advisors. We help them do all of that from technology to compliance, to the transition, to all the things that go in the investment platform, to running a successful RIA, a successful independent uh, advisor platform. But that's the fundamental difference in the two models. On the economic side in the independent space, instead of a 40 to say 45% payout, most advisors are taking home, if they want to take home the cash they're generating, 60%, you know, 55, 60%. So almost a 50% increase in the take home and that's because it's much more efficient uh, and you control much more of how the cash is spent. Uh, whereas, as you would imagine, in a bigger firm, there are many more costs and, 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 and things that have to be considered. And, and that's what the, the brands there have, have to do. But again, it's not better or worse. It's really what works best for the individual and ultimately for their client. Well, you talk about the client. Uh, how much of of the push to go into for advisors to go independent is really driven by clients in terms of what they're demanding. A lot of it. And it's a great question. Um, it's not just about the advisor. It's about what's the experience the client gets. And we go, we talk a lot about a dynasty going from, you know, a seller of product when you're in a bank, I work at a, a great bank and here's what we can do for you. Uh, and this is what we, this bank, this brokerage firm can offer you. This is our menu. You go from a seller to really a buyer across the street as an advisor. You can get your product from any of the bigger banks or, or brokerage firms. You can get it from wherever you would like. Um, now, Dynasty does a lot of diligence. You know, there, there needs to be diligence, of course. But you go from a professional, professional seller to a professional buyer, where you sit on the same side, again, of the table as your client. And you say, I'm going to do, in every sense, what's best for you at all times as a fiduciary. And if I can get better product here, better product here, I'm always going to make the right decision based on being a fiduciary and advisor to you. And I can go anywhere, you know, I can go anywhere on Wall Street. I can get any great product, any great capability, um, you know, uh, based on my position now and my relationship to you and as an independent. Well, let's let, let's let's kind of unpack the word fiduciary because i think that's over the past 10 years post global financial crisis um particularly in the wealth management community the, the term fiduciary has become really important to both advisors and their clients in terms of how they think about themselves and, and their business w what does fiduciary really mean and then what does it mean in the context of figuring out what the best investment options are for their clients how to think about kind of helping their client through their financial life it's a complicated topic and it gets um uh, it, it gets confused, but I guess at the core, there are really two sets of standards. There's a suitability standard, something that is suitable for a client. And then there's the fiduciary standard, which is as an advisor, it's always incumbent upon me doing what is best for the client. Um, and those are two different standards and they get confused a lot. Uh, in the brokerage uh, world uh, regulated by FINRA, you're under the suitability standard. And um, that comes with its own set of rules and regulations. And as an advisor, you are a fiduciary. And so you're held to a higher standard. You're held to a higher standard. And um, that means as an advisor, you have to always be thinking about what's in the best, not just suitable, but always in the best interest of the client. Uh, and it's fundamentally a more holistic way of looking at the market and, and clients. Well, so then how do you think about the types of products that you help 
dynasty advisor teams find uh, working with different platforms, the diligence that you do to make sure that the advisors are then comfortable offering certain types of products. So how do you think about all of that in the context of, of the platform offering that you're providing to advisors and then ultimately their, their end clients? Well, the first thing I do is, as kind of one of the founders of this firm is I say, we, we have to be able to offer something as good, if not better than where an advisor came from, right? So the capabilities where we are have to be at least as robust, meaning that if you had access to 350 asset managers and investment styles at one of the banks, Dynasty has to make sure that that same capability and those managers are available to you as an advisor. So when we founded Dynasty, you know, over 10 years ago, we started with that very simple premise, which was we have to be able to offer at least as much. And what we've done over time is we've grown, grown that capability. So it's not just as good, but hopefully it's a lot better uh, because, again, we can go anywhere. So I don't want to name names on asset managers or banks, but if the best credit person is over here, that's where you go. If the best long short is over here, that's where you go. The best traditional international or small cap or, you know, name your asset class. Um, you're not beholden to only what the menu is where you are. You can go anywhere and get the truly best of breed asset management capabilities. And so that's, that's the flexibility and one of the, the great things about being an independent firm is that you can go anywhere to get access to great you know, products and great services. I think that's a great segue into a conversation about alternative assets. So whether it's private equity funds, hedge funds, direct deals, um, you know, how do you think about the importance of alts in a wealth client's uh, portfolio and how advisors also think about alts, given that it's become a more important part of people's portfolio and therefore has to become an important part of advisors' offerings to clients? Yeah, there, there's a lot to that question. I think, first off, um, we have focused more and more on alts in the last few years um, because um, we've seen uh, anecdotally that that has become more and more uh assets are being allocated more to alts than they have been in the past. I think a lot of that, Michael, we've talked about this in the past, has to do with education, you know, and, and I would argue anyone looking to get in the independent space, it starts with education and transparency around what it is you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it. And that education, when you, when you provide that to the advisors and the market allows them to have really meaningful conversations with clients that alts are really a unique way to get access to something that you may otherwise not have gotten access to or didn't understand. And maybe there's a little bit of a time arbitrage, the ability to invest in something. Maybe you don't have the same liquidity, but you have the ability to be with a manager who has really deep expertise. And because they're, they're, they have that investment from you, they have the ability to be more flexible in the market and can make decisions which may, might not otherwise be available in public markets. So that education has been happening. And in the independent space, I think um, you're seeing the benefits of that. Um, and we are big believers in alts uh, where they're appropriate with un uncorrelated asset classes. Uh, as I talked about, you know, best of breed managers, arbitrage of time uh, and liquidity. But all of these things we're seeing, our average team on the Dynasty platform has 750 million in assets. So that's the top 2% of the RAA ecosystem. And those are the teams that 
by and large, are also doing more alternatives for client portfolios. That's a really interesting point. I think there's actually industry data based on surveys from some of the big custodians that shows that advisors who tend to offer alternatives to their clients tend to attract more sophisticated clients, generally higher net worth clients as well. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some level of correlation. There's some level of causation. But but how does you know how does that make you think about the types of offerings you need to provide to dynasty advisors uh, on the alternative side, because they came from these private banks, like you mentioned, where they might have had a menu of, of funds or product, but they were only a specific set of funds that the advisors would probably be pointing their clients towards, but not this whole other universe of funds. Yeah. And the whole other universe is where there are a lot of really interesting opportunities. And that's where we like to look because, and I worked at a very large bank for a long time. But if you fundamentally get into one of those banks as an alternative investment manager, you have to be ready to receive a lot of money. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's the goal, right? And, and once you're on that platform, so it means that the, the firms that get on those platforms are already a certain size. They've got a certain distribution you know, capability, a sales team. They're already fairly successful. I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, you have to be to be able to get on those platforms. You're already at scale. I would argue that some of the really interesting opportunities are catching those firms before they get that big, get them when they're still smaller um, because they have a niche and they're exploiting a niche that maybe is not well as well known. They, they, they th they're able to kind of exploit things in the market, which is where you get real value rather than be more of a distribution play uh, where, where at the larger banks, you have to be able to take in millions and millions and millions of dollars. So we like to play in that space, Michael, where, we feel like managers are coming up the curve and they still have a lot of really interesting opportunities available uh, for clients and investments. That brings us to a really important question of diligence, right? Because no one at a bank is going to get fired for allocating their clients into Blackstone or Carlisle or Warburg Pincus. But some of these smaller managers, maybe earlier on in their career, have less track record may present the opportunity for greater returns, to your point. Uh, and, and I to totally agree with, with, with the with, with the the sentiment that emerging managers can outperform. Uh, and there's data from Cambridge that, that can show that. Uh, but, but how do you then think about diligence on behalf of uh, those managers for your dynasty advisors and then their end clients? That's again where dynasty comes into play. So we, because of our size, the dynasty network now has over 50 billion you know, in assets. Uh, and because of our size, we have the ability to run diligence on investment managers in a way that an individual RIA would not otherwise be able to, to run diligence. So because of our buying power and scale and what we call the dynasty network, we're usually targeting ideas on the investment side that we think are broadly interesting to the, net, the network. We don't want to open up a new opportunity if we don't see there being demand. Uh, and, and so it's important to kind of understand where our clients want to play and what they're most interested in looking at. What their, what their end clients are most interested in looking at. Once we kind of triangulate on that, uh, we will help run that diligence process for our network, um, which is very efficient for them and cost effective. Um, and we bring in often outsiders. We also have an, an investment committee internally that approves uh, managers to our platform. And then we make it broadly available to our network. And that's how they access it for themselves and their clients. So what, what types of alts uh, are, are you seeing Dynasty Advisors invest into right now? And then what types could you see them uh, kind of be interested in going forward? 
Well, recently, you know, in the last few years, last two years, I think with the interest rate environment being where it is, I think credit has been a really interesting, um, you know, space. Um, where are there um, opportunities where you give up maybe some liquidity, but you get a great yield um, for doing that? And it allows the managers to be a little bit more opportunistic. Um, credit's been a, a spot. I have to say we are a little bit right now. I mean, just to make, to make this really topical, um, the issue of Bitcoin, you know, and, and what's going on there. And is that, I even hate saying it, it seems, but is that really a long-term asset class? And is that something those kinds of opportunities should be invested in? And we're doing a lot of work on that. And, um, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, right? But I, I, I think that, uh, that's our job is, is, is once we hear feedback from our network, then to put resources against finding great solutions and then doing the work to make sure that they're vetted and the diligence has been done and that we have access uh, and great pricing, you know, on behalf of the the 50 billion of assets on our platform. Well, when you say feedback driven by the network, there's been tons of data that shows that I think it's 90% of the time when cloud uh, wealth is transferred from one generation to the next, the the, the client goes to a new advisor. So advisors are very keyed in on making sure they they engage the next generation. They understand what they want, what they're interested in. You mentioned things like crypto or Bitcoin or investing into startups or late stage private tech companies, which younger generations may be more accustomed to seeing because they've grown up in that environment. How much of interest in alts that you see from your advisors is actually driven by clients, their, their end clients, and what they're interested in investing in? Ultimately, it's a great question. I think ultimately, it's driven by what our advisors are interested in. And they're probably interested because their clients are interested. Not always, but a lot of the, the sophisticated advisors that we deal with have a point of view on the market. They have a point of view on where investment opportunities might lie. They think a lot about asset allocation. Uh, and so, un- again, uncorrelated asset classes, and they're they're the ones that I always say we shouldn't be thinking this up. We need to be asking our network. We have 50 teams, which is hundreds of people who are having daily conversations with clients. They're thinking about capital markets all the time. That's our best source of of where the next idea might come from. And then where Dynasty can play a role is not in necessarily picking the best idea. That's not really our expertise. Our expertise is in uh, do helping do the diligence, provide access to it, provide pricing because we have scale, you know, and then making it a- available. So I would say we're not Michael in the in the in the role really of trying to pick the next best idea or the next winner. We're in we're more in a role of helping facilitate, you know, for on behalf of our clients, the advisors access. And so we listen really a lot mm-hmm. to them, and and that's important too because they're the ones that are going to invest in it. And so we want to make sure there's enough demand so that it's a good relationship for the manager as well. You know, if they're going to invest the time with us, that it's going to be a significant relationship. And I, I just want to put a fine point on this. We don't want to have relationships with hundreds of, of, of managers. We want to have deep, meaningful relationships with a handful. Uh, and that's always been our focus. We don't want to spread around like peanut butter. We want to go deep and do the work. Uh, on behalf of our of our network, and then have deep, meaningful, great relationships. I think that's a really really interesting point because you know as as I kind of live in the venture capital community, uh, venture has truly historic and historically been in the domain of institutional investors, so pensions, endowments, 
ultra high net worth family offices in large part because of the access question. Uh, and they haven't really needed to go to the what is really a burgeoning independent wealth space, right? I mean, there was, I think in 2009, there were 71 RIAs that, that had a total of $103 billion that were acquired. Now in 2020, you see like 69 RIA acquisitions with over $137 billion of AUM. And there's a ton of wealth, like kind of wealth management growth in the independent space. So the kind of private equity community writ large and particularly venture has never really kind of been exposed to or needed to be exposed to the wealth the wealth advisory community so how do you think about uh, building relationships with kind of the private equity community writ large in particular venture firms to your point like it's great to have these long-term relationships and that's generally how LPS are getting access to fund one then fund two then fund three but they have to get into fund one or fund two to be able to be in you know Bessemer, Sequoia's Fund 12, 13, 14. So how, how are you kind of thinking about that? And what advice would you give for the venture community as a way to start building relationships with the advisor community, which they may not be as as, as uh, familiar with? I would say that to the venture community, um, you should start focusing on this part of the market because the independent space is growing. <laughs> and it's growing by assets. It's growing by advisors. Um, just look at Sorelli data. Uh, this is where wealth is heading and uh, you need a strategy around it um, and you need a partner. And I would argue the partner because it's a very fragmented industry. Uh, I started, you know, I used to do um, internships at bigger brokerage when I was in high school and I, you would have a wholesaler come in or an investment manager come in and everyone would go and get lunch and then they'd pitch, right? And they'd pitch to 40 or 60 advisors, very efficient. The independent space is very fragmented, you know, and so going to offices and, and, and doing what you need to do to build those relationships is very time consuming, very expensive. And so I would argue, I'm a little biased, but when you look at the independent space, look at folks like us, Dynasty, because we provide you a tremendous amount of leverage and scale and efficiency into the independent wealth management space. We already have a network. We already have an investment team. We have the operations set up. And so we provide kind of that, that, that access um, and we also want partnerships, you know, we want great deep partnerships, but this is where the money is, is going. This is where advisors are going, but you need a strategy around it. What worked in the bigger banks and brokerage houses may not necessarily work in the independent space. And it's really important to think about it separately. If you can resource it separately, market to it separately and differently, because it is a different, um, group looking for, for, for different things potentially than the traditional you know, wealth space. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess on that point as well, there's also kind of, if we think about the market structure of the, the distribution aspect of this space, there's also investment platforms that are starting to provide access to the high net worth community at large, everything from individuals, family offices, to wealth managers, RIAs, and platforms like yourself. So some of whom who you partnered with very early on, like an iCapital and was was hugely instrumental in our growth uh, at the time when you when you partnered with us, really gave us a stamp of approval. But how should should funds think about partnering with those platforms that then provide the access points? to the wealth advisory community, or should they be coming directly to a platform like Dynasty um, where they, they can maybe get um, kind of more specific or kind of reoriented treatment? A little bit of both. Honestly, I think um, we work really closely with iCapital. And I remember when I first saw the technology that you all built there, you know, maybe this goes back, I don't know exactly, eight years, seven, seven, eight years. Uh, I, I remember 
I remember exactly where I was when I had the dinner and, and I started seeing some of the demo and the wireframes of it. And I said, you guys are onto something really big here. This is really cool. And this is going to be a really big success. And, you know, iCapital provides that access point, again, in an efficient way to multiple distribution channels, not just the independent channel, but others. So that is a very good option, you know, and a great partner. And it's a very good business run really well by great, great folks. Uh, ultimately, though, iCapital will put things on their platform that advisors want to consume, you know, on behalf of their clients. And that's maybe where we come in a little bit more. Uh, we often work with iCapital and say, this is what we're looking for, you know, and this is where we see demand. And, and by the way, that's a great conversation for them because going back to you want everyone to win right in this conversation and you want to be as efficient as you can. Uh, and so where Dynasty comes in is we sit with all the advisors and we're listening and and understanding where they want to go. And then uh, we can bring some of those ideas to a partner like iCapital or to others and say, this is where we think the demand is and this is where we want to facilitate access uh, to, to investment opportunities. Yep. And, and, and on that point, too, what do you think about the kind of the growth of all of these different investment platforms across the alt space that are providing access to various types of alternatives. Uh, you know, what do you think about those platforms in general? And how do you think about a firm like dynasty interfacing or partnering with them? Yeah, I think it's fundamentally a good thing. We talk a lot about the democratization of advice and of product access. And so I see this as fundamentally very positive. Um, I think that all of these platforms will need to mature and there will be some winners and losers. Um, fundamentally, things like compliance, oversight, diligence, those are kind of the bedrocks and have to be the foundation of any of these platforms. After that, you get into um, the technology elements and the delivery capabilities. Um, but I ultimately see this as a very positive thing. I think anywhere where there's evolution and kind of creative and destructive forces at work, you're gonna get a better outcome for clients and for advisors. And so I'm very much in favor of these platforms. And I think every few years, technology allows us to do something a little bit better, faster, more efficient. Um, and there will, and, and it's our job at Dynasty and all of us to kind of stay on the, the, stay on the cutting edge of what's happening so that we, we again can deliver that to our advisors and clients. Well, we talked a little bit about what it means to be a fiduciary earlier on, and, and that's a really big responsibility for both advisors and, and for Dynasty as you help advisors diligence many of these either investment opportunities or platforms. What, what do you need to see from these platforms in terms of the kind of arc of institutionalization that they undergo for you to be able to be comfortable recommending these platforms or investment products to your, to, to your advisor clients and their end clients? Well, transparency is key, you know, in this space. I think having a track record, you know, is obviously important. Um, I think for some advisors or investment advisors, they've been in the institutional space for a long time. And so there's a little bit of a track record there and how that, you know, how they built up their business. And now they're pivoting to independence. We would piggyback off of the institutional capability. Um, size is important, but not the most important, as we talked about earlier. Uh, size really has more to do. It's not about size. It's about validation in the marketplace. And it's about others having done diligence to a platform uh, and, and, and having that third party validation based on previous successes makes it easier for us to get comfortable with something. Uh, but it's by no means the most important thing. So 
I, I think we piggyback a lot on the institutional capabilities of the firm and what they've done in the past. And as I said, full transparency on what this product would be and, and pricing and capability in, the, in, our, in our part of the market. So is there an AUM threshold for either, like I think platforms and funds are different. You may be comfortable allocating to a $100 million fund if it's the right strategy, right team, et cetera. But from a platform perspective, whether it's like an iCapital or a Republic or an angel list, are, are there thresholds of AUM that you look to see that these platforms can kind of hang their hat on and say, okay, when I when I hit this threshold, I can feel comfortable starting to engage with the wealth management or advisory community? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure there's a magic number around the size. I think it has a lot to do with the team and their background and their performance um, record, um, you know, and what they're wanting to accomplish in our part of the market. There's not a size requirement. I mean, certainly if it's too small, we also have a very large network. We want to be able to put significant assets to work, as I said, deep partnerships. Um, so we do look at that from a capacity standpoint. Um, but we're more interested in the team and the investment philosophy uh, and and the vision for where this platform is going. Uh, you know, my partners on the Dynasty side, we're big into the entrepreneurship. Um, we're big supporters of it. So we're always curious where someone wants to take a platform five years out, not just the next you know, 12 to 18 months. So those are kind of the things that we're really looking at before we partner with someone. That's a great that's a great segue into kind of thinking through what the next evolution of alternatives are. That here, kind of at Alco's mainstream, we think about um, alts in two buckets, like traditional alts, like we've talked about, so startups or late stage private companies private equity, hedge funds, et cetera. But then there's alts that are further out on the frontier. So kind of we call them alt-alts. So things like crypto, trading cards, collectibles, art, uh, things that are kind of starting to pique the interest, particularly of younger generation. How do you think about um, the alt-alts bucket? And what do you think it's going to take for advisors to say, okay, I'm comfortable allocating to a trading card fund? I think all of that should be on the table. I'm excited about those capabilities, uh, especially, you know, I used to be an analyst in a future life uh, after business school, and you see this correlation of everything kind of going together, you know, so even in alternative, you know, everything's kind of correlated to one. And the more you get into those kinds of things, the less correlation there may be, which means that there are more benefits as far as having that in, in an asset allocation. So I'm very much in favor of those things. I think that because it's a little bit of the wild, wild west, um, vetting those platforms out, understanding exactly, again, the transparency, the buying and selling and all that. And then how do you scale it? Uh, you know, so how can an advisor say, okay, I like this concept. I want to put it in all my portfolios, you know, and that could be 200 clients. You know, how do you, how do you do that efficiently? Because it's not just, you're not just doing this once. You want to be able to do it a lot of times and you want to do it in a way that you know, it's very efficient for your firm. What is what does that mean? Because I think tactically speaking, and we went through some of these things at iCapital, and you guys were actually incredibly helpful guides for us. But that was really the lock and key to being able to working with the advisory community at large. So when you say um, enabling an advisor to scale something across their portfolio, what does that mean in terms of plugging into the right data partners, custody partners, platforms like Dynasty. Can, can you walk us through what that means so that platforms can start to understand that? Yeah, and I apologize. I'm, I'm an operating officer, so if I get into too much detail, just just cut me off. But it's kind of my, my DNA, how I engineer and think about things. But you've got to have performance reporting on these assets, right? So you've got to have APIs or other integration feeds 
where a client gets a monthly statement and it's on there and they bought it at X and now it's X hopefully plus something. And they've got to be able to kind of see that. And those feeds can be built. Uh, we do a lot of that work on the back end with our partners to help facilitate that. So, so step one was, you know, you got to be able to report on it somehow. Um, that's, that's critical to the scale uh, side of it. And for the, for the client to understand they have it and what's in their portfolio, you don't want them going to another platform and looking it up and then looking, cause think about that. Then suddenly you're going all these different, the advisor needs to consolidate everything into one place. Um, the second thing uh, is access. You know, we do a lot of single sign on integrations through what we call the dynasty desktop so that the advisor has one place to go. And if they want to allocate money, they go to this one place. We've done this with iCapital. They go into that portal and it's very efficient, right? Again, rather than going to multiple different, you know, spots um, and getting kind of screen fatigue and pass, password and user interface fatigues. Uh, and then I'd say the last place is you have to figure out the custody of the assets. And with some of these alternatives, it's not a traditional custodian. Uh, and that's okay. But that custodian really does have to be vetted. Whoever you end up working with, that person really has to be vetted and has to pass a series of kind of tests because the custodial relationship on these alternative assets is very important, right, ultimately. So those are kind of the three things I would start focusing on that give an advisor scale and the ability to access these these opportunities at scale. That, that's, that's great. I think that's, that's a fantastic segue into kind of sharing some thoughts and advice. So, you know, we, we, we hope that the alt space goes mainstream uh, and, and a big part of that is, is education like you're, like you're sharing with the community. So what's the advice that you'd have for many of these investment platforms or funds as they continue to kind of build their own platforms or products or funds and institutionalize so that they can work with the, the RIA or independent wealth space? Well, you know, I'm a big believer in, um, as far as advice is focus on your core business first and get that right. Um, and people will find you, you know, I mean, um, I, I, I think if you do a great job and you just start talking about it, it's a small community. And it's really important to get something right. And then as, as people get excited, I think the rest comes very quickly, right? Once people want access, once their understanding of the story, everything, everything else is easier. I think where people I've seen get into a little bit of trouble is they start thinking about distribution and all of those things before they actually have the widget, you know, perfected. Um, and, and you'll never get too much momentum in that, in that, in that strategy. Um, but once you do have it, um, Get a partner like Dynasty, uh, like iCapital. You mentioned some other platforms, you know, that can give you distribution and access to multiple networks. And um, I would go deep with a few, not not really broadly. Some of the biggest platforms are not actually that helpful in getting assets. So you might think, oh wow, we got on this platform, that's a huge win. But then you just sit on the shelf, you know, and you're just another offering among thousands. Um, I would not see that as a win. I would go for partnerships where they, you, that they are like-minded and that they've committed to you and you've committed to them to deliver something and you're, you, have a, you have a goal and you're going to drive something deep strategically rather than just put yourself on a lot of platforms. On, on that point, is it better from a, for, for an investment platform or a fund to build relationships with a specific individual advisor who can be a real influencer in the community and then they end up going to the platform where they may be affiliated with like dynasty and say hey like 
we've worked with this wealth manager, had a great experience. The wealth manager shares that with you, and then you kind of bring it to the, the broader dynasty community. Yeah, as we start off the podcast by saying, everything we do is about the advisor and the advisor experience. So that helps. If an advisor comes to us and says, I'm passionate about this, um, I've done the work, I believe in it, my clients would like this, uh, can you help me with the diligence, the integration, the technology, the, the, the all the compliance issues, then we're much more likely one way or another, the advisors are going to make the decision, you know? And so if, if someone comes to us first, it's more than us going to the advisors and saying, what do you think? Um, but everything that we do is focused on the advisor and the advisor experience. So, so yes, I would say if an advisor is passionate about it and pounding the table, it obviously makes the decision for us much more easier, easier to, 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 to move forward. And then on the advisor side, what advice would you give them in terms of kind of how they think about engaging with the alternative investment community? You know, I think our advisors have a really good understanding of what their clients want and, and what they need. And so I'd be reluctant to give them any advice other than um, what I'm seeing is that there are a lot more really interesting ideas out there like venture you talked about venture venture is not really something that wealth even when i was at a big bank people were investing in a lot i mean people are just starting to get into more mature kind of private equity opportunities and so you're seeing this ecosystem for lack of a better way of saying it open up to advisors in a way that it hasn't in the past which provides a lot of really interesting opportunities for end clients so i would just say to the advisors you're in a great position the independent space particularly, uh, because you can access these investment opportunities that really haven't been available to, to our part of the market in, in the past. And I'm really excited about that. That's no, that, that's great. And I think I, I like to end the, the podcast by asking everyone what their favorite alternative investment is, or their best investment ideas. It can be a fund, it can be a company, it can be a, a, a space. What, what, is your, what is your best idea or favorite idea when it comes to the alt space? Well, my best investment advice is finding you know, technologies in the independent wealth management space. I'm really passionate about that. Um, my largest investment is in a company called Dynasty Financial Partners. So I'm very passionate about that investment. Uh, but in all seriousness, if we had gone back 10 years and when, when we started this company, you talked about the independent wealth management space and people kind of looked at you kind of sideways um, and, you know, they didn't kind of get it. Everybody gets it now. doesn't mean everyone's going to do it, but everyone gets it and they understand what it is. And most advisors are interested in it. So when I think about investment opportunities, I think about this ecosystem over here, which is the independent wealth space that needs picks, pickaxes and shovels and blue jeans. And I think about wealth, wealth tech and fintech and how fundamentally powerful that has changed consumers' lives in other parts of industry and how wealth is actually fairly late to the game in using technology in a really robust way. So when I think about investment opportunity, I look at I look personally at things I know, which is wealth tech and fintech, and there's a huge market there. And there are winners that we don't even know the names of these firms. There are going to be massive winners in this ecosystem. Um, so anything venture or private equity related that has to do with wealth tech, fintech, 
uh, I get in the independent space, I get really excited about. Well, I, I can tell you this entrepreneurs who are building in the wealth tech space should absolutely be talking to you because you can help them guide, guide their kind of their thinking as a business, just given what you've done and also just your understanding of the space. So I, I would, I would certainly be the first to vouch for Ed, uh, on, on any cap table of the wealth tech. Appreciate that. Awesome. Well, Ed, it was great to have you on that. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the Alco's mainstream podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Michael. Great talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going mainstream.